Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. So, this name thing, <laughs> Quentin <laughs> Ward is on my birth certificate, but no one ever feels like saying Quentin. <laughs> that O really gives people, uh, you know, an issue. So I end up being Quentin, which is not my name, or worse, Quincy. <laughs> not that that's a bad name, it's just not mine. I know. And then I had a boss who used to call me Quincy, and then he would do this noise afterwards, like, mm. <laughs> which really sucked. So I just go by Q because it's easier. And then my last name is Ward. And then I DJ. So that's kind of how my whole name situation Ward is came to be. <laughs> and uh, of course, we are back up in you one more game. We got a lot to talk about this week. Um, a lot that we're not going to be able to get to, but we're saving it because we're going to, we have some, some exciting things in the work that's in the works. That's all I'm going to say right now. So stay tuned. Um, a lot more exciting things coming our way, but the things we're going to talk about, I believe are extremely important that we deal with them per usual that we discuss them and that we inform you the listener of the goings on, um, at least from the perspective of, black folks um if you're tuned into this radio station or listening wherever you're listening um i, I guess that uh, a confident assumption that you're an ally of black people or may in fact be black yourself and so um so yeah we're uh, deeply saddened by the, these events but we're excited to share it and have our therapy at the same time and today's episode is especially special because we're joined by uh, a few folks that I I think are amazing people. I, I love these people so much. Uh, one person in particular who is the reason that we started doing the show in the first place. Talk to me. So um, welcome, uh, Keisha, Zara, and Mimi. Welcome um, to the show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Yes, of course. Um, so how about this? Why don't you give a little bit of background on yourselves and and, and where you're from? And uh, then I'll tell a little bit of a story and then we'll get into the, the meat and the potatoes of the show. So, Cool. Uh, so we're here. Uh, we're with Black Lives Matter, Phoenix Metro, um, your local Black Lives Matter chapter. Um, and uh, we've been out here. Uh, we've been organizing since uh, 2017. Um, a lot of y'all know us uh, for our, you know, our street game, the protests, you know, the, the politicking. Um, but, uh, you know, we also, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, Phoenix Metro, uh, we're an autonomous chapter. We have um, five ministries. We have um, an art ministry, a policy, education, um, pol activism. Uh, and so like with all of that, we, we do um, have we try to follow the Black Panthers model where we have a model of, of trying to do 25 percent uh, tear down and dismantle and 75 percent build. And so what that looks like is, you know, as abolitionists, um, the hardest part is dreaming the new world. And that's where uh, we really try to focus on. But at the same time, we still out here. Um, a lot of our protests and activism is directly um, led by uh, those who've been uh, harmed or the family of those who've lost uh, because of um, police violence. Uh, so that very much guides us. Um, yeah, and I'll pass it on to Mimi. Um, I think that was a good intro, just kind of like briefly about our organization. 
um again just trying to as abolitionists just trying to live live and live and embody our values and just um you know uh, create a better future here for black people in the city of phoenix is who we're accountable to so just continuing to work uh yeah uh what's up my y'all my name is uh keisha and uh i uh have been with black lives matter now for about a year and um i feel like my work here is to uh uh really kind of uh dismantle uh what it means to be a biracial person in uh this work uh, i think oftentimes we skate by on our uh light skin privilege and so i'm uh, trying to decolonize myself and uh, show my brothers and sisters the way wow that was intense we're, we're in the presence of esteemed company today. Yes, indeed. Um, so I want to tell a, a brief story before we get into the show, as I mentioned. Um, <clears throat> so in 2020, um, you know, when we saw the life of George Floyd get extinguished on video, um, and we were just talking about that. Some of us didn't even watch the full video. I'm not one. I still haven't seen the full video. I saw it and I knew what was going to happen. So, um, but you know, when that happened, you know, there was a, a moment where the energy in black America shifted. And, and of course, uh, allies of, of black people, people that subscribe to hip hop culture and, you know, all those sorts of things. A lot of folks were really moved by that. And that coupled with the pandemic and so forth, everybody just kind of took to the streets. And it was folks like y'all that were organizing these movements, these protests and so forth. Right. So <clears throat> I am a longtime broadcaster here in Phoenix um, and, and recognizing that the show is broadcast in other cities. Um, you know, I can only speak from my perspective, but th I'm sure this happened in, you know, if you're listening outside of Phoenix, I'm sure this happened in your city as well. Um, but as a broadcaster, I, I thought it was obviously as a black man, it was important for me to get out there to take my children out there to make sure that we were represented and counted in, in the, in the movement and contribute to the, to the ripple effect, um, if you will. But as a broadcaster, I felt that there was rather more that I could do. There are not that many people who are able to broadcast and way less people of color who could speak uniquely to how this feels, what's happening um, and so forth. And less people still who were of a high enough caliber or so I thought to empower other people to speak. And um, we were in Tempe. Um, I, I'm not sure if you remember this at all, but um, so I was in Tempe. Tempe's a city in Phoenix uh, or in, in Arizona. It's, it's a, adjacent to Phoenix or next whatever. Anyway, so we're out there and we're marching um, and we stopped at a courthouse. And there were some issues with the sound. And Zara, uh, the, the, the woman that you first heard speaking, um, just had to figure out how to address the crowd despite the some some shortcomings in the audio equipment um and she's addressing a crowd of might have been two three thousand people out there and you know we have bullhorns and so forth but you know uh, if you if you know a bullhorn might hit two or three hundred people not two or three thousand 
And, you know, there's systems in place, you know, we'll chant and echo it through the crowd. But um, I felt that you were such a profound speaker, such an educated person, so in term, informed person, especially in terms of what's going on, how to empower people to, to make a difference. And then um, it, 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 you felt like the sort of person would be very difficult for someone to say no to. Right. And I like that energy because I feel like I'm that sort of person, too. <laughs> It's not always true, but I do feel like that. Um, and so I, I felt like there was more that I could do. So I took this idea back to the radio station. Q, you know all this because Q has broadcast with me for a long time. Um, I took it back to the radio station that I worked, an old station um, in Arizona that has now gone off the air and <laughs> changed their everything. And I'm not trying to, you know, clown or anything like that. God bless them. Um, I, I believe everyone learned their lesson. And, you know, I, I do leave space in the narrative for forgiveness. I do believe that people can make mistakes and learn how to be better. And they're better. It's better for our agenda in the long term if we don't just, you know, um, dismiss them and, and forever position them as an enemy because then we increase the other side and we decrease our potential numbers. So not trying to say anything bad about them, but those are the facts. They had to change the name of the station. They had to fire a bunch of people and, or people had to quit or whatever happened and, and so forth. So anyway, at the time I took it back to those people and I says, Hey, um, let's set aside 30 minutes in the middle of the night. Um, and let me do a radio show, um, to where I can put a microphone in front of Zara so that she can come up here and say her piece I, I think that black people need this and this is a radio station that plays 70% um, black artists and 100% black music and um, I think that now is not the time to be a fair weather friend so this ask should have been met with you know um, open arms I believed and, you know, I got to run around. A lot of folks know the story, some don't. Um, I got to run around for a long time. And ultimately, I was told uh, by the program director, um, his exact words were, I don't want to do a black show. And, you know, I took exception to that, obviously. And so um, I wrote an open letter resignation. Um, and immediately after was picked up by, uh, in, in Phoenix, there's a station called Power 98.3. Um, and then whatever station you're listening to us on has, has come on board as a partner subsequently um, because they feel it's important to echo these messages and, and have these sorts of long-form conversations despite it being a music station. It's important to have long-form conversations for our mental health to deal with these issues, to empower our allies and ourselves and to be self-determined. And if people are able to profit from our culture, they should contribute to it in a meaningful way. This was my ask. Ultimately, it has become my charge. And that's a long roundabout way of me saying thank you, Zara, for showing up today. Again, this is you were on the first episode and, and now you're back. So. Um, so, yeah, uh, some some esteemed guests in the building indeed. Um, and we have uh, an event um, that we need to touch on a little bit later. But first, I've been waiting to talk about this one. Um, so you guys, I'm not, I'm not sure who all was heard, but, um, there was an incident in Minneapolis where, uh, this was on TMZ, um, was where I saw, and I saw the video, um, you, you know, there's a memorial to George Floyd on the ground in, uh, I think it's like right on the spot where he was killed, like the street is closed and it's now a big memorial site. Um, and 
there's no you can't drive a car through there or anything and of course there's all the flowers and signs but then there's like a like a makeshift building with like a door and glass and everything like that it's in the middle of the street um and you know we see these these signs and everything's in in photos and whatnot um but tmz showed a man that got out of his car and he had an axe and he took the axe to all the signs he like tore them down and ripped them this is like surveillance footage um white man looked looked police-ish you know um so whatever comes into mind the the platonic ideal of a police officer that's what this guy looked like at least to me boom there you go talk talk to him see she didn't have a mic that time we were grabbing a mic let her let her say that again <laughs> probably fat ball headed boom there it is yeah if you want to watch the video it's there um but you know uh trigger warning if you know you were as moved by um by uh george floyd's death as as many of us were but you know you're able to see for yourself that that's exactly what what this type of person was and um you know he took an axe to it and uh he didn't get very far because eventually, um, after like a couple of minutes, someone, uh, like yelled out to him. You could hear the audio. It was like, Hey, what are you doing? And you know, he like dropped the ax and then ran and jumped back in his car and drove off. Um, so last I checked up on it, the police were still looking for this guy. Um, but I think that, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that is probably one of them, you know, yeah. for all we know, but, um, you know, that's the last I heard of it. And, you know, I think that, there's a few things that we need to address um and i'm gonna start with perhaps the least popular um thing that we have to deal with um and that's that white men feel like they are under attack a lot of times it's such a weird thing um, because, you know, I know that me personally, the, the, the whole sum total of all the days of my life, I felt to one degree or another under attack, or at least, you know, um, in, in the danger zone, you know, where it might not be directed at me, but if I go outside, I have to be hyper aware of who I am relative to everyone else. Um, and I do believe that this is kind of a new thing for white men. And this is why we're seeing a lot of um, mass shootings. And this is why we're seeing a lot of things, you know, from a certain type of person over and over again. Um, there's no reason for a person to go and destroy. And I think this is the second person that went the first time it was a police officer. It was in uniform and he went and like kicked over some stuff. Um, but this is a um, this is something that eventually we're going to have to talk about on the show at least um and you know i know that there are a lot of white men who listen to the show that are they, they position themselves as allies i believe them to be great people um and they have given me insight into this um way of thinking that plagues some or perhaps many white males in this country where they feel like i think i think what it is is and I want to get everyone's response to this, but I think what it is, is if you're born a white male in this country, um, you're told that the American dream is yours. If you go to school and you work hard and you're going to grow up and you're going to be a rock star and you have a Ferrari and you're going to live in a mansion and you're going to have a bunch of women that love you and not whatever. Um, 
And then when they get older and they see that that's not true, they're especially vulnerable to propaganda, um, um, things that position black and brown folks as these sort of bloodsuckers that are taking their American dream away from them, when the truth is, is perhaps more capitalism than anything else. Um, but we've been positioned as an enemy to these people, and so they respond in kind, like what we saw in this George Floyd mural attack. And, you know, I, I've always, well, I've learned from studying other folks that violence begets violence and anger begets anger. Um, and that's not to say that we need to forgive people or, you know, anything like that. But I'm just interested in everyone's thoughts about how do we deal with these sorts of things how do we feel about it and what if anything can we do to fix it Keisha how you feel <laughs> <laughs> well just give me your thoughts ah uh, yeah that's a that's a big uh topic but I definitely um think that you're on to something with that and I feel that um you know when we're uh when you see that, that there's a shift of power happening I believe uh, at the moment and because there that shift of power is happening on such a mass scale there's this this kind of to your point what you said there's this uprooting of of this the the norm there's a new norm happening and that these you know white men and white people in general are feeling that upset and they don't necessarily know how to deal with it and because they don't know how to deal with this upset you know there uh there's this rage that's coming out uh you know against uh you know people of color absolutely and, and whatnot so yeah i definitely uh, think you're on to something with that yeah i feel like you know they have that saying that says you know if you're privileged equality feels like oppression and i feel like we feel that we see that a lot you yeah. know uh white people see okay we're not even we're we're only now just starting to to talk about maybe having some amount of representation and white people feel like they're losing things and especially white men and you know we hear it all the time um you know we have uh affirmative action and uh even that you know hasn't really changed much because it's still mostly white people white men and yet somehow they think you know uh that that one black person you know in at the job or you know at in the college because it's still like that you know i'm uh i'm in a graduate program right now and i'm the only black you know person in my whole my whole department right now i'm the only black phd student and so when they talk about like oh uh you know and then i still have white people feeling like somehow i took the place and i'm like i'm still the only one so what are you afraid of um and i just feel like they see somehow if we were to equal things out they're gonna lose something but um it's not so much as you know instead of seeing it as a loss of something they should also see the way that you know um the way that privilege and affluence and this bubble this white you know privileged bubble that they live in actually takes away a part of their humanity because they don't even you know know how to deal or with different cultures or different types of people because you know of their homogeneity that they've lived because of their privilege and somehow they think if that changes they lose something but i would argue you're gaining something you're gaining culture you're gaining you know spiced food you're gaining there's so much richness, stuff you know rhythm you know what I'm saying? yeah no absolutely um yeah i agree with that and it's almost just like 
anytime black people show up in a way where we're autonomous, where we're laying claim to our humanity, where we're saying we are powerful and what you're doing to us is wrong, that's when we get disciplined. Um, either by physical force, uh, verbal remarks, um, eye rolls, whatever it is, whatever microaggression it is or physical thing it is, that's what happens. So what we see here um, with this man shooting this picture is, um, is a direct result of that. So they would prefer to us to have our heads bowed down as we're walking down the street, not looking them in the eye, same kind of thing. The second we step out of turn is the second we are um, we get disciplined by the white supremacist system and he's a product of it you know and a lot of the times we talk about who's to blame for it but I mean um, if you're benefiting from a system of white supremacy and you're not doing anything about it you're to blame for the system so it's it's um, it's definitely time for them to organize themselves against these things because it's murderous and um, it's killing us and it's, it's killing them too and it's killing the planet, it's killing everything around us because we haven't stepped and stopped the time to be like, okay, look, let's be better people for everything around us so we can make this, make this earth actually survive. But um, that's not what we see. We see. We see humans holding this unhealthy hierarchy and we see um, white men specifically, holding, white cis men specifically holding this hierarchy over humanity like they're the height of it and dehumanizing everything else and everything, every person, thing, object, uh, I don't care, H2O, you name the element. White men think they can own and control it, colonize over it, and make money off of it, exploit it, you know? So um, how do we, you know, not do that and how do we center um, something different, you know? How do we build something different with uh, this world's, uh, you know, has continuously been obsessed with anti-black violence. So how do we undo that? And this is him doing, shooting the picture again, the product of that anti-black violence. Absolutely. Oh man, Q and his dark, sad point of view. <laughs> you know, when we, when the show starts, you guys hear me do a lighthearted explanation of just my name, Quentin. Um, Reverend Estella Seacrest, my mother, named me Quentin after a friend of hers whose name was Queen and the prefix Quint meaning five. I was also my father's fifth child. Um, I don't know that she did that on purpose, but it worked out that way. But the reason I do that, uh, Ramses and I talk about this all the time. Our show can feel and get very heavy for us and for our listeners. Emotionally, it is a lot to take on. And as you guys have heard us say multiple times, as a part of our responsibility, we have to take in all of this very difficult content, these images, these videos, these stories, some that don't even make national news of our people being subjugated to, to levels of oppression that you thought went away 50 years ago or that you've been taught or that people would like you to believe have have we've left in our rearview mirror. But the thing that happens and this is why you kind of hear us speak about capitalism in the way that we do is because it has created a mental vacuum of a zero-sum game if this group is getting ahead then we must be being pushed back so the group that's always had the head start that's always had the resources and the lead being brought back to the pack you know keisha as you said can make you feel like you're the one being oppressed now how come everyone else gets to play on a fair playing field with us now i must be losing something if he's gaining something except human civil rights don't work that way we can actually all have them 
and us being brought to a place where we're not oppressed or criminalized because the way that we look does not mean that now you're somehow worse off. But when you have a system that thrives on there being an oppressed group, you have to make the majority oppressed group feel like part of the minority or feel like the reason that things are not working out in their benefit is because this group of people over here, these black and brown people are taking your jobs, are the reason that there's crime. You know, that that's the reason why you're not living the American dream. Look at them. Don't look at us rich people who are monopolizing your resources and taking everything for ourselves. Look at the people who are actually in the same boat as you because they look different from you. It must be their fault. Well said. Um, and a lot to think about. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And they call me Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, we started the show off talking about, um, you know, some heavy stuff. You know, um, really, we're talking about violence um, and aggression toward black people and examining the source of that. Um, and, you know, there's there's something that I wanted to, to add to that part of the uh the show before we move on and that's that you know i have this belief that um you know when 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 people say you know uh white privilege doesn't exist um and and in their mind I, like i understand why they might say that because if you're born poor and white and everyone else around you is poor and white and you had to work for whatever it is you have it could be a lot it could be nothing and you don't feel like there were any advantages no one came and said oh you're white here's you know a million dollar loan you know that never happened in your story then white privilege feels like a, a, an attack or a slap in your face because you feel like you've had to work for everything and so i try to reframe that um oftentimes as you know, if you're born black, at least in this society, based on society's rules, not nature's rules, but society's rules, that's like being born with a strike against you. If you're being born black and female, that's almost like being born with two strikes against you. Uh, black, female, and, you know, queer, or, you know, um, or, or um, maybe you're, you're not in a healthy body, maybe there's a handicap, or, you know, some, some other... Um, some other thing going on that is not heterosexual Christian white male straight person um, who in a healthy body um, then you're born with a strike against you but if you are born you know Christian male you know that's like being born with zero strikes against you and that in and of itself is your privilege and so that way both things can be true you weren't born with anything but you weren't born with any strikes against you. And that is your privilege. We've had to crawl up from underneath from a negative space. And you were able to start at the, at the starting line. We were able to, we had to start further back. And I think that reframes it in a lot of folks' minds. Um, and it's the people that understand and acknowledge that. Um, uh, obviously a lot of people would agree with that. And especially people that would listen to this sort of show and people that would show up and support the things that, you know, we're trying to do to make the world a little bit more fair place. But I find that that explanation even convinces people who challenge the idea that they were born with any sort of um, 
uh, privilege because it's like, well, did you start with nothing? Okay, so we can agree that you started with nothing. Okay, then let's go from there because I started with less than, less than nothing. And then usually they're able to kind of come around. So, you know, take that and do what you want with it. Um, it might, you know, you know uh, help you in a conversation and might help you convince someone to kind of rethink uh, the world that you live in and that they live in. Um, but moving on, another thing that we have to talk about, unfortunately, it's also very troubling. And I'm sure everyone will have a lot to say about it. I am going to kind of chill on this one because I want to hear everyone else's thoughts. But um, Andrew Brown, uh, we were aware of what happened with Andrew Brown on April 21st. Um, the police were executing a search warrant at Andrew Brown's house. Um, they pulled up in mass. Um and he tried to flee the scene, as is his customary right, being a, a creature endowed with consciousness. If you're afraid, you run. That is hardwired into us by nature. So that is not a death sentence, uh, right? And they shot him, um, and he died. And the interesting thing about this, if you don't know the story, is they shot him as he was fleeing. So all of the bullets hit him in the back. He was shot in the back of the head and the back of his body and his car was all shot up and he uh, crashed into a tree, I want to say. Is that, is that, if I'm missing some of the details, you know, I try not to give too much of myself to preparing for the show just because it's so taxing. So if I miss a couple of things, don't hold it against me. But that's the gist of the story. Well, um, we found out um, this past week that the judge... Um, said that the officers had reason to believe that they were in danger and so the shooting was justified now we just got a verdict from the george floyd case right? a guilty verdict which we were happy with not happy with but we felt like that was good the derrick chauvin that's that's case. what i meant to say i'm so sorry the derrick chauvin case the um, murder of george floyd exactly exactly so um that felt like okay maybe I mean, it doesn't feel like a win. I don't think it feels like a win to anyone, but it does feel like, okay, you're starting to hear us maybe a little bit. Let's get a lot more of that and then let's normalize it. That's kind of, I think, for the most part, what we were feeling at, at that moment. But like Q, a lot of people felt like, oh, okay, they just had to do this because they don't want anybody, they don't want us to burn it down. You know what I'm saying? And I think that this judge saying that the officers had reason to believe that uh, that they were in danger as a man was fleeing to shoot him in the back and end his life um that feels like more of what we're accustomed to i'd love all your thoughts on that if you have any sure i'll start yeah yeah let's hear it <laughs> i know what i think i want to know what you think my tag team partner on this show has a much more optimistic and hopeful outlook on race relations uh, and justice um, the way our country views and treats us and where we aspire to be at some point I because of things like this am a far less hopeful person with regards to us ever reaching this utopia uh, of progress and social change and equality, it really feels like it'll never happen to me. And I, that's not a place that I'm excited about living mentally and emotionally, but it is an honest place. 
and our country, our countrymen, our police continue to reassure me that I'm right. If someone leaving out of my house after robbing it got shot in their back by me after they've terrorized my family, scared my children, but made it out of my house running away from me and I shot them dead in the back. In the back. They for darn and I really wanted to say something else right then. They for darn sure would find justified reason to hold me accountable. Because it would be very hard to explain to them how I felt threatened by this person who's already fleed the scene. This person that's running away from me. And that would be true for everyone sitting in this space with me right now. Unless you had an agency's badge pinned to your shirt. Then you'd have an almost literal license to murder and a built-in excuse of fear at all times. Afraid of the person running away from you, justified in murdering this individual. Now, in my case, in the story I told, you'd think this person broke into my home, terrorized my family, scared my children, woke me out of my sleep. But all that person has to do for me to be the bad guy is make it out of my front door. And even if my feelings are justified and true, I'm going to be held accountable. And if the person doesn't die, I'm probably going to be brought up on criminal and civil charges. Attempted murder and whatever this person wants to sue me for. Even though they actually broke in my house, stole things, scared my family, terrorized them. They made it outside. So the law set up for that person to somehow make me the bad guy, especially when I'm wearing this skin. So it's impossible for me to be hopeful when the guilty verdicts are very, very few and far between. And even when the guilty verdicts happen, there's a sentencing that happens after where you get convicted murderers getting less time than people found guilty of selling marijuana prior to it becoming the booming federal and local industry that it's become over the last few years so it's hard as a father and as a black man living in a country that even when we fight for it and we wrap that flag around us when we touch back on our soil we're still viewed as less than and beneath it is very hard to remain hopeful when those things remain true um so this time i couldn't watch the video because watching bullets tear through another one of my people for a reason that you can't explain to me would have been too much this time. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I think that... That's um, Keisha, by the way. Yeah, what's up, y'all? It's Keisha. Uh, yeah, so that really resonates home with me. Uh, just, uh, I feel like in my body often I uh, am struggling with the optimistic side of me 
and also the less optimistic side of me because on one hand i do want to believe that there is a world that the world that we're building and 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 doing all of this work and you know pounding the pavement for and you know the change that we're that hoping to see um on one hand you know it's it's a beautiful thing right if you allow yourself to drop into that space and allow yourself to really imagine a world without police and imagine a world where the police are defunded and imagine a world where everyone has you know access to food and water and um you know uh social services and a place to sleep a safe place to sleep and um you know that's a beautiful thing to imagine and on the other hand when you see things like this in the news almost every single day and um you know it's it's a struggle and the reality that that we sit with because as you see in the george floyd uh situation case uh murder um you know although derek chauvin was found guilty for for what he did um george floyd was on trial for his own murder you know and you see that in a lot of cases you see that in almost every single case right the person that got shot or or you know brutalized by the police in some way become uh the victim of their own uh murders or or, or offenses they try to justify them. like well he deserved it or yeah. He, yeah and even in the you know andrew brown situation I, I i haven't watched the video um and and don't know a ton about the the story because these cases they're they're really difficult to to hear often and i try to save my emotional capacity for for the situations that happen here locally um since we are a local organization and we fight you know those uh c police brutality here in our, our local area i try to save my compassion and 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 just energy for for these cases that happen closer to home um but i definitely saw that they're you know they're trying to vilify him from the moment that it happened trying to vilify him for his own murder and justify well if he wouldn't have ran he would have still be alive all you have to do is you know follow the law and you know you wouldn't get shot right so now. it's like <laughs> You, you know, have those situations. It's, it's it, it is it is a struggle to hold on to hope um, while while seeing this happen every single day. But for me, if I didn't have hope, there would be nothing to fight for. You know, so I I have to allow myself to even if I don't always believe it, I have to allow myself to um, fake it till I make it. You know, because if I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have the strength to get up every day and do this work. Sure. Zara, what you got? <laughs> I feel like, you know, uh, well, uh, something that we always say in the movement is, you know, uh, the system isn't broken. It's working exactly the way that it's supposed to. And so, you know, um, when uh, the way this works, I mean, you know, you say that uh, – the badge is a license to kill, right? Literally, it's that with their qualified immunity. And so, you know, uh, the way that the laws and everything is set up, they're going to get free. You know, Derek Chauvin was a, a sacrificial lamb that the police gave to us because they knew that we would have completely lost faith in the system. But honestly, you know, if you haven't yet, it's like, 
come on, like, we know how this goes. We know how they, they criminalize. We know how they, you know, and, and at this point, it's just about, especially, you know, for for us as an organization that works directly with families, you know, we try to, to you know, uh, smile and, you know, tell them we're going to get justice, but more more often than not, that's not the case. And, and honestly, now we've been talking about it ourselves as an organization. When we meet with these families, we kind of have to be honest that, like, you know, we're, we will advocate for you, but the, the likelihood that we'll win is, you know, it's not, it's not really high. Um, but, you know, we're going to try what we can. We're going to make sure. And, and more so what we see, what happens after these cases is depending on the level of uprising that comes afterwards, you might get some policy changes or something, you know. Uh, but, um, but most of the time it's mostly window dressing, you know. Um, and the system is the same and it's going to continue to kill us and we're going to continue. Uh, the murderers are going to continue to go free um, because it was built that way, you know. Police are the modern day slave catchers. So, uh, you know, if we, we, we shouldn't really expect almost anything else. And, you know, um, to that point, uh, that is why, you know, doing this work in his, uh, for as long as I've been doing it, you know, um, I don't watch the videos. Um, you know, I, I didn't watch uh, the whole George Floyd video, uh, you know, because I watched the Eric Garner video, you know, and that's what, you know, had brought me out to the streets. And I, you know, I can't keep watching them because I feel like we get desensitized to black death. And if black lives are supposed to matter, we can't become desensitized to black death. And if you see the difference with the school shootings, with the grocery store shootings, with all the other times when white people decide to shoot up places, um, you know, uh, they never show the bodies. But when black people get killed, it's these public executions. And that's because our lives don't matter as much. And so I feel like, you know, especially as us as an organization, we don't repost that and you know uh my bad and uh <laughs> we because you know it is uh it, it 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 does become desensitizing to black death and you know um how are we supposed to matter mimi <laughs> yeah um i feel it you know um the 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 level um, of black death uh, surrounding us at any moment is absolutely overwhelming. And I, I don't know how we as a people do it. And I think if anything, that's what keeps me going is the fact that we are actually still alive and here and doing it. 11 million Africans died at sea before we got to this terrible, terrible place that we called the Americas. Okay. So before we even got here, black death was a huge thing. 11 million. The boat is too heavy. You have to go. So here we are. Imagine what they did to us for as long as we were here. We were nothing but extra scraps on a ship to them. So of course, we look around us now and that, that same level in different forms of black death is around us and everywhere. So if anything, you know, um, looking to our ancestors and movements before us, um, what, what made you fight in this fight that seems unbeatable at all times, you know? 
and but they still continue to do it. and then that's the that's the we call it afrofuturist in all of us you know so we have the pessimists and we have the afrofuturists and they they go um, head to head um, <laughs> right but it's just like there's there's something there's some kind of freedom dream in what we've been trying to achieve but there's also this this very deep uh rooted anti-black violence in our communities and in in ourselves and sometimes we you know take things out on ourselves and in ways in our in, in the people around us in ways that we shouldn't right mm -hmm. but i think that um there's no excuse and there's no other reason behind why somebody would shoot and kill somebody in the back and talk about their threat and actually get the f away with it than the fact that anti-black violence is just as real now as it was then, as the 11 million, you know? So when we bring our ancestors in the room, this makes sense differently, okay? So st we forget about time. P time is a colonial construct. Do we have to go into it, y'all? They hear me talk like this all the time, too. That's why they're laughing. This didn't happen as long ago as we think it did because guess who created time? A bunch of colonizers say that happened so long ago, just forget about it. Forget about it because it benefits who? So let's disrupt it all. Disrupt their time too. This, we're on, we don't need to be on white time anymore. You did this to us. We feel it in our bodies still. So that black trauma, that ancestral trauma, that post-traumatic slave syndrome, it's very much here. And it's with our brothers and sisters on the continent too, because again, we didn't even make it here before they dumped us like garbage. Now they dump my brother in the street like the same mother. Okay, <laughs> stop. Same MF and thing, you see? So, um, it's disgusting. When, do, when, do, when is there an end to it? When is there a stop to it? We don't know, but we know there is a fight for it. And there's a, there's a fight, and people are fighting against it. You know, so invoking, invoking their hopes mm -hmm. is um, what keeps us going. But I think it's, it's always, you know, it's balanced because we have to go back and see, you know, what happened then and now is then and now. Um. And why people need to stop weaponizing time to make it like it was so long ago. Fair point. Well said. Give us back our reparations. We can't talk about black lives if we're not talking about reparations. Talk Give me my him. money. Run me my money. Talk to Honey. Him. So listen. I'm confused. Um, I got to say a couple things. First thing I want to say is I read some couple years ago I want to say and uh, it was a report a study and it said um, men interrupt women at a rate of like 70 70% more often than women interrupt men in, in the same conversations right so when I read that me trying to be the person that I aspire to be I was like oh you know what let me let me check myself. And over the past few years, I've been trying my best to check myself. Right. When a woman is speaking, let her say her piece, state her brief, try to learn. And I think that listening to you three say that right now should serve as proof to every other man listening that you should let these women talk. If they talking, you sit, you sit there and listen and you get educated. Now, of course, I've heard you all speak before. So, you know, we kind of have the, the dynamics here established, but just um, to be able to listen to that passion. Um, it's very moving and very empowering. So thank you for sharing that. I'm cutting Ramses off very intentionally right now. 
You know, I know that's some, some kind of social pun based on what he just said. But I just picked up my phone and text our group. Let these women speak. And you didn't see that before oh. you said what you just said because you don't even have your phone. So that's how aligned we were just now. I, just, I know you saw it. I said, let them speak because it's so necessary. It's so powerful. It's so moving. Our superheroes, our real superheroes are represented by right these here. women. Listen, not Captain America, not the Incredible Hulk, them. So let these women speak because those words, those thoughts, those real raw emotions are powerful and necessary. So it's almost spooky that I text that and you without seeing it said it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I, you know, I listen all day. I mean, I, I made a radio show so, so everybody could listen, you know. Um, so, yeah. And then there's a there's a, a, a nurturing quality that just is absent when a man speaks, you know, um, originally, the, you know, when we try to work out these dynamics and the optics and everything like that, we try to account for that. But um, one thing I do want to say, though, um, in, in terms of a, a contribution to the to the narrative here in the, in the conversation is that in terms of, you know, keeping myself enthused and optimistic about future prospects um you know i just have to think you know what are we doing this for if not to have a better tomorrow and so i try to keep that at the center of my imagination if you will um and and just remain hopeful and then you know there are some shining examples in my life of people who are really going to go out of their way to their own detriment to make the world a little bit more fairer for place fair place for people that don't look like them and granted relative to everyone else it's a small number but it's enough to keep me um hopeful about the future so with that said um uh you know i want to make sure that you know what you're listening to this is civic cypher i'm your host ramses ja they call me q ward and that's almost my name <laughs> Quentin Ward Make sure you say it right. just way easier to say I don't mind you saying Quentin though By the way <laughs> I just really can't rock with Quentin <laughs> Not because it's not a cool name It's just not mine It'd be like calling me Michael They're, they're not the same So <laughs> Quentin or Q Ward Whichever you prefer I want to educate people man Because sometimes people that don't know me If I'm out of town They hear Ramsey No disrespect to anybody named Ramsey <laughs> But my name is Ramses. That's what my father named me. Anyway, um, big news. Big news. Um, if you live in Arizona, if you live in Phoenix, um, especially uh, the folks that live in, in, in this state and in this city, um, and in Tucson too, you know, um, there's an event uh, coming up. It'll be this Tuesday. And uh, what we're going to do is it's 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 an anniversary of the passing of two people that were very central to the marches and the protests last year and are still very central to, you know, our hearts and the stories that we're um, continuing to write these days. Um, of course, George Floyd, be the anniversary of his passing um, and Dion Johnson is another high profile case here in Arizona. And uh, we're going to um, have an event to celebrate the lives of these people and to also 
empower economically specifically the family of Dion Johnson which is something that we can do here locally and so I want to take a moment and you know any one of you can answer this but you know what are your thoughts on you know why this is important or why this is necessary to commemorate you know this event and, and uh, you know to do something yeah, we um, so much has happened. That's since, Zara, by the way. Uh, George Floyd and, and Dion Johnson. Uh, you know, um, Dion was our own local uh, Floyd incident. Happened on the same exact day, um, and didn't get nearly as much attention or justice. Um, and so, you know, we've uh, we've done a lot. We've done direct actions. We've had thousands of people in the streets for for Dion. We you know surrounded DPS. We 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 did a lot. Um, and, you know uh, we got arrested for Dion Johnson. Um, and, and still we haven't gotten justice. And now it comes up on a year. And in that time, uh, Irma, who's uh, Dion's mom, has gotten her other son taken from uh by the same the same state the same police um they're they're trying to uh frame him on a bunch of charges and basically take him away forever um and so um you know when we thought about what could we do to commemorate this what can we do we were like we have to bring her son home you know we can't let um, you know, two of her sons be, be taken by the state. Uh, that's just, you know, too tragic of a story in one year. Um, you know, in the middle of an uprising, we, we have to do something. So that's why we decided to do a benefit concert. It's our first time. Um, putting on a concert. I know y'all know us, um, BLM for protests, but we we get getting into something new here, um, so that we can raise the money um, for uh, Dion's family, so that we can bring Irma's son home, um, and so that we can remember, you know, everything that's happened in the last year. Um. Yeah, and I think that that's. Um the, the fact that we're going into this with that level of enthusiasm and confidence, um, a lot of folks that may not have been out on the streets or whatever, they might not be aware of just the the huge crowds that, that come out, even though the numbers have kind of sh- shrank in 2021 from 2020, um, still huge numbers of people. And the fact that you're able to do this and, and connecting not just with Dion's family, but with the city in, in this way is 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 very significant. And, you know, I uh, unfortunately, I can't talk about my affiliation with the event because of the nature of broadcasting on the FM uh, frequency. The FCC has some rules about that. But you can let folks know how they can participate if they can't participate how can they support you know and so forth that's what this time is for yeah absolutely uh this is keisha here um so the the concert is going to be on may 25th so exactly one year from the date of uh of this tragic uh loss um we're opening the doors at 6 p.m so it'll be from 6 p.m to 10 p.m at the monarch theater and uh yeah we're excited we have a a pretty dope lineup set up for y'all uh we've gone out of our uh stretched our comfort zone here to bring you guys a pretty dope concert um with some uh you know uh some local like uh artists in who are in the movement uh 
for who's those on that lineup? <laughs> yeah, so who's on the lineup? So we got uh, Ari, and excuse me if I mess up anyone's names here, but uh, we have Ariane Nicole uh, with PLOC, uh, dope artist. Check her out. Um, we got Rocky Tyrade, who's also uh, in, in the movement as well. Uh, so dope, dope artists. Uh, we got our, we got some dancers from our very own. Uh, uh, choreograph a dance choreograph by uh, Nissa Vibe, who's our very own member uh, of BLM Phoenix Metro. Um, yeah, we got Poker Face on here. Uh, we got DJ Ramses Ja. Oh, I will be there. Turning yes. up the tables in the house. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna be there too. <laughs> we got Q in the house. We got MC Freshmaker. Um, yeah, I mean, we got we got just you know we got a, a dope lineup for y'all, and this is gonna be hosted by all of your uh prominent local orgs here in arizona and again the purpose of this benefit concert is to bring uh donovan johnson home um back to his mom irma johnson and uh, the family will be present at this event and um it's family friendly all age welcomes it is hosted at the monarch theater but we are keeping it family friendly uh, so there will be non-alcoholic beverages. We'll have vendors. We'll have. It's going to be a good time. So come out, check it out. Um, the you can buy the tickets online. Uh, we are on Eventbrite, so check out the tickets online. You can go to our Facebook page. It's in our our Instagram page. It's in the in, link is in the bio as well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, once again, that will be this Tuesday at Monarch Theater in downtown Phoenix, one twenty two East Washington. I know the address. Um, and, uh, you can find out more information on social media. So you guys please share your social media so folks can follow you and keep up with you. Yeah. So on Instagram, we have, uh, it's at BLM Phoenix Metro. Twitter is also at BLM Phoenix Metro. And then we also have our Facebook page at, uh, Black Lives Matter Phoenix Metro. And that's spelled BLM PHX Metro, uh, for IG, Twitter. Okay. Um, any personal Instagrams y'all want to share? If not, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's about the movement. All good. Okay. I'm not <laughs> mad at that. Well, shoot. You can follow our personal Instagram uh, at Civic Cipher. Um, and also, you can hit the website, civiccipher.com. You can make a donation to the show. Um, that really helps the show grow. We have new cities that we'll announce soon. So we're, we're really appreciative of everyone's support. Um, you can also submit topics if there's things that we need to talk about, things we need to know about that happen in the community. This is your show just as much as it is our show. So please feel involved and, and feel free to support. Um, and uh, of course, you can download this show if you tuned in in the middle uh, or any previous show. Or you can listen to the unedited version of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Yeah, Another yeah. thing that we don't do is uh, we don't push the YouTube. So if you ever want to engage visually um you can check out our youtube channel as well that's youtube.com slash civic cypher again that's all on the website civic cypher.com um once again i'm ramses ja they call me q ward and that's gonna do it for us so until next week y'all peace, peace.